The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. All right. So finding a posture that supports being awake, supports a sort of dignified showing up for your experience here, but is also relaxed and supports a natural breath, natural alignment. And let's just ground ourselves coming into contact where your feet contact the floor. And sensing where your bottom is in contact with your chair or cushion. Just taking in the sense, the whole sense of the whole body and mind just sitting here, being in this space, breathing. And as we start this year of exploring the path together, we might just do a little check-in. What do you sense in the center of your chest, in your heart area? sort of emotional presence at the moment. Maybe there's some excitement or some anticipation or some peace. Whatever's there. Acknowledging that. Breathing through the heart center. Touching into your intentions and hopes for yourself for this year. And checking in lower down in your belly and around your navel and deep in the center of your body including maybe your lower back. What is your, the foundation you can feel yourself resting on right now? A sense of commitment and resolve and this wish to be deeply rooted in the Dharma and in a wholesome way of life. Just opening up also to the mind, to the quality of knowing, seeing, the quality of intelligence, wisdom that's brought you here. Not cutting off any of those parts. Connecting your understanding with your heart's wishes, with the strength and commitment of your gut feelings about this groundedness of your hands and feet, bringing our whole selves to this path.
And just quietly acknowledging and sitting with whatever's going on with you right now that you may notice. And the breath moving through it all. The energy of your whole system. Just finding some ease and goodwill for yourself and for everyone. Reminding yourself that we start where we are. We're going to meet ourselves exactly where we are. Come to understand what's happening. What are our deepest wishes? What are some obstacles that we might perceive? Where are those coming from? with this attitude of kindness, a wish to understand, a wish to see clearly, a wish to be able to cultivate the wholesome. Bringing an attitude of patience and compassion to our difficulties. opening to the possibility that seeing more clearly and touching into our intentions more often will have a transformative effect. So just being right here, right now,
Okay. So the plan for the day is that uh, in the first part of the afternoon, I'll talk a little about an introduction to the path. What is the path? What is a path? What is this path? And uh, something about helpful attitudes that you can bring to bear in in this program. And then we'll have uh, one of our breakout groups where we talk to each other. And I'll, I'll give some introduction to how we do that. And just to say, if that's not setting well with you, those are optional. You're always welcome to take a walk and come join us later if that really doesn't work for you to, to talk to a small group of people. Although many people find that that's the most rewarding part of the program by the end of the year, to have met other people and shared a little bit about what's going on with them. So, uh, and then in the second half, I'll go into more of the kind of administrative details about how the program's going to work, make sure everybody's got the right information about where we're going from here. So here we all are. We're some decades into our life, and we're setting out for our own reasons on a year of studying this 2,600-year-old guide to happiness and well-being. So it's so beautiful that so many people want to devote this much time to this program again this year. I think now, you know, it might seem especially now, but it was much the same many times in history. And in the Buddhist time, 2,500 years ago, this confusing wilderness of seductive promises of how to be happy Right, security and happiness, owning things, being in power, being seen certain ways, getting the approval of other people, getting rid of what we don't like, getting rid of who we don't like, whatever we imagine to be the source of our problems, trying to control things, control situations, control what other people think about us or the world. And for some people in the more privileged layers of our society, this might appear to be possible for a while, you know, you can you can do some of that for a while. <laughs> but eventually it begins to seem really stressful and exhausting and never-ending. And at some point, everybody has to realize that it's just part of the nature of life to include illness and old age and death and loss and misfortune and unpleasantness and limited control over what happens. So we start to take seriously this really age-old question of what can we really trust? What is a reliable source of ease, joy, peace, confidence? In this world, what is it? As, as everything changes and swirls around us and so much is going on, what is it worth investing in that really gives us these deep roots in, in uh, something that's reliable? So when the Buddha saw this situation for himself, he embarked on what's called the noble search. The noble search for something reliable and lasting. And the Eightfold Path is the most common way that he presented what he finally found. So if you're here, you're on this search. You have what the Zen tradition calls a way-seeking mind. You're looking for the way. A mind that has some sense of what doesn't work and a sense that this path is a promising direction to devote a year of study to. And of course, the essence of what the Buddha realized is that lasting inner peace and happiness, it's an inside job, right? It arises naturally 
from careful observation of how we are relating to our experience and learning to see for ourselves what kinds of intentions, reactions, and responses of our physical and mental apparatus, what leads to more stress, what leads to more ease and more freedom from stress. And to me, the great good news is that what he found is a very deep correlation between what leads to freedom from stress for ourselves and what is beneficial for the welfare of others. Those really turn out to be indistinguishable. There are two points of view that I see in the teachings that I find to be mutually supportive. First, how can we learn the skills to lessen our own suffering and live from this place of greater joy and ease, regardless of what conditions the world is presenting? If we had to fix the world before we could find any peace of mind, good luck. You know, and where would we be coming from in trying to fix the world with no peace of mind and very little wisdom for ourselves? But also then, through our own speech and actions, we, what we see is that it's very con- some conditions are very conducive to being able to do this, and some conditions make it very difficult to undertake this practice. So as we see that, how can our own speech and actions help provide beneficial conditions for others instead of harmful conditions and adverse conditions for others? And so we'll begin to notice the correlation between what's going on inside of us when we're doing something that makes it more difficult for other people to find their own wisdom in their own way. And what, what's it like when we're doing something that's actually, what does it do for us when we're doing something that helps provide beneficial conditions for other people? So in the suttas, in the discourses of the Buddha, the Eightfold Path, it's often presented alone as this is, you know, people will ask, how do I get to the end of suffering? And the Buddha will say, well, the Noble Eightfold Path and list off the factors. But it also appears as the fourth of the Four Noble Truths. So many of you know this. There's quite a range of people in this course. Some people have been practicing for decades and and you know, now it's time to do this and look more deeply at this. And some people are quite new and maybe you've just finished the intro class last month, you know, and you're very inspired to go on with this. So whether this is news to you or or something that you've studied for a long time, we can see if we can bring a fresh perspective, you know, because we're always, we're looking at our own experience and your own experience is always presenting something fresh in every moment. You know, it's really not about knowing more about the Four Noble Truths, but about how they apply in your own life. So we'll say more about the context of the Four Noble Truths next, in a couple of weeks, when we take up right view. So today I just want to acknowledge that that's, those are the teachings that this path comes from. And just a little preview of the overall structure of the path. Um, it begins with what's called right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. So that's a lot of rights, right? And what does right mean? This is probably something that we'll frequently touch into because I sort of wish all the material was written with the word wise instead of right. Some people call it wise intention and so forth. Right sets up, you know, maybe a little pushback in the mind sometimes. But it's helpful to understand right meaning for the purpose of freedom from suffering. There's this great story that the Buddha tells, a simile of if you want to get milk from a cow, you can twist the horn 
all day long and you won't get the milk. You have to know how to twist the udder if you want to get the milk. So that's the right way to get milk. And so this is the helpful way, (laughs) the effective way, to actually make progress toward the end of suffering. And also some people are a little disappointed to find that right speech isn't going to tell you what to say and right action isn't going to tell you what to do in some detailed way or how to make a living and right livelihood. It's much more like the teaching you to fish model. So it's going to be laying out um, qualities that you want to check in with, with yourself. Where are you coming from in all these different areas? And helping you learn to discern for yourself what is wise speech and what of course there are guidelines but they aren't you know the answer to every situation they're they're ways for you to check in with yourself so these factors that i rattled off are traditionally divided into three sections the wisdom section the ethics morality virtue section and the mental cultivation or meditation section So it might seem odd that it starts with wisdom. That's also understood often as the end result of the path. And sometimes in other teachings, the Buddha will teach them in a different order where the ethical factors come first. You know, first you need to stop killing people, then you can calm down a little bit, and then you can start to practice on this. Or he'll start with generosity and, you know, opening your heart to giving to other people. So those are also beautiful ways of thinking about this. But there's also some wisdom in understanding that we have some preliminary, you need an orientation if you're going to practice this. So the beginning couple of factors of view and intention, we're going to be looking at where are we coming from, where are we now, and what is, what is the orientation of this whole path. So we start with what could be called preliminary view, right view, and right intention. And then from there we look at how those are manifesting in our speech and our action and our livelihood. And then, hopefully, after we've looked at all that, then we're quite maybe newly motivated to look more deeply into our own minds and look at what our, how our innermost thoughts are working. How can we calm the body and calm the mind? And so then we look, at the end, we look at uh, the meditation factors of effort and mindfulness and concentration. So this is a daily life practice for the most part, where you're observing what's really going on in your life. And then uh, the last factors are focusing more in on the meditation. So, and then we'll probably go back, probably at the retreat, and revisit view and, you know, wisdom. What have we learned? How has our wisdom grown in the course of the year? So it's really a spiral, you know, practicing... Practicing ethics and practicing meditation leads to deeper wisdom, and deeper wisdom makes being ethical and calm easier. So we see this spiral. One way of seeing this spiral is moment to moment. There's, this, there's always this flow from our deeply held views of things to our intention, to our speech and action. That's the little engine that sort of goes on all day, determining what we do. And whether we're doing it, when we're doing it with no awareness and not much wisdom, then we get, you know, the world that we're living in where the speech and action that flows out of people is flowing out of people. And uh, when it goes on, when it goes on with more mindfulness and more ability to calm and concentrate and center the mind, then, you know, we'll see what happens as the year goes on. So under this influence of... So it's not like we're going to wait till the end of the year to practice mindfulness. 
there's a prerequisite for this course that you've had some introduction to mindfulness and you have some idea of how to observe your what's going on in your mind and your heart and your body without just reacting to it immediately or trying to hate it or change it or hate yourself for it or fix it or something. So hopefully you kind of have that idea and you have a little bit of ability to calm yourself working with the breath maybe. And so we'll be using those factors all the way through the course. And we're not, we may not study them officially until the end, but we're relying on them all the way through. I talked about it so far as if the path is linear, but it's not like a one, two, three step thing. It's not like you perfect one and then you go to the next one and then the next one. It's, it's really not like that. It's often, it's classically the picture of it as a wheel with eight spokes. You know, or I've heard it described as an eight-lane highway or a stereo equalizer with eight knobs on it, you know. So we're bringing all these factors online, and they all help and support each other. One passage in the sutta says that the factors of view, effort, and mindfulness circle around all the other path factors. And that seems quite true. If you're practicing speaking wisely, you need to pay attention you need to make the effort to actually do what you know is right, you know, and and uh, you need to know what you think is right, and all of those are those are those three factors. So those are applying all the time. And in the understanding of Buddhist psychology, the mental factor of intention is operating in every moment. You don't do something without an intention. So these things are, you know, quite interwoven all the way through. But it's an eight-month course, and we're going to go through it linearly and. We'll also be highlighting, I think, how the factors all work together. So, what? So, what? What is a path? Why do they call it a path? What is a path, and what does a path mean? It is a path that does lead somewhere. It's quite clear in the teachings that it leads to liberation. Tan Jeff, who's been here teaching the last couple of days, that's a big theme in his teaching. That yes, this goes somewhere. This goes to liberation. It goes to the ultimate freedom from suffering, which is called nibbana or nirvana, and nibbana in our way of speaking here. And although we can say it leads somewhere, it's not somewhere else, you know, it's always here, we're always here, it's always now. So it's a transformation in the way that we relate to the here and now that's happening. But you can see when you look back on years of practicing that, yes, it was different then and, and something has changed. So in that way, it's led somewhere. And it's also a path in the sense of a way, the word way, like a way of life. A safe passage through the wilderness, a good, wholesome, safe way to make your way through life. It's, a, it's the right place to be. It's like, are you on the, in any moment? Are you coming from the alignment of the path factors or are you being pulled all over the place by forces of delusion and greed and hatred and reactivity? So it's this navigational aid through the territory of our lives. And as Gill says, we create this path by walking on it. The Buddha's given us a very high-level map, or it's really sort of a recipe for how to make a path. But, you know, you make a path by walking on it, right? That's how paths traditionally have come to be made, is that people walk on it. And I think in a very real, even a neurological sense, this is a path through the jungle of our own minds and bodies. It's our own actual tiny habit-changing steps and tiny moments of observing and little, aha, that's, oh, look how that happens. Look how I always do that. 
and maybe feeling, oh, this is what it feels like when I always do that, and maybe I could just not go with that next time, and maybe you won't next time. And just moment by moment like that, we're actually creating this path so that then this deeply practiced path becomes our natural, spontaneous behavior. And in fact, liberation is often described as nothing other than having the path be our natural way of being. Stephen Batchelor, who's a modern uh, Buddhist teacher and author, he says, Nirvana is that space within ourselves that's not determined by our impulses, habits, reactivity, and so on, and that allows the possibility of another way of life, which is called the Eightfold Path. So the Eightfold Path is sort of this natural, I don't know, I think it's got a huge mind-body physical component to it. You know, when everything's aligned and your thoughts are aligned with your heart or aligned with your gut or aligned with the actual actions that you're taking, there's a sort of integrated, centered steadiness that could be called the path. It's a path through your system that we're getting it in alignment by looking at all the things that pull it out of alignment and pull us every which way and stabilizing it and becoming familiar with it. So a little bit about um, okay, a bit about uh, some helpful attitudes for this course. We're going to do some reading, some listening to talks, some discussion, and the real heart of the course is this inquiry that you're invited to do on your own time into your own direct experience that will come out of these weekly reflections that we'll send you. They're also all, originally they were written, Gil wrote these lovely two-page essays on each factor with a set of exercises, and that's all in one place. But then we broke out the exercises and formatted them, and we'll mail them to you every week so that you get a weekly reminder in your email of the exercises to consider for the week. And it's this direct seeing that's transformative. There's a famous teaching, I'm sure those of you who've been around a while know, about the Buddha was asked to, there were these people called the Kalamas, and they'd been visited by a whole range of spiritual teachers. It was maybe the Bay Area of their day. And everybody was coming through with a different point of view or the internet or something, and you know, telling, oh, you must do this, you have to believe that, try this and whatnot. And they asked the Buddha, how do you know what's the right thing to do? And the answer is, so Kalamas, don't go by reports, by legends, by traditions, by scripture, by logical conjecture, by inference, by analogies, by agreement through pondering views, by probability, or by the thought, this is our teacher. That's what our teacher says. But when you know for yourself that these qualities are unskillful, and when adopted and carried out, they lead to harm and to suffering, then you should abandon them. And when you know for yourself that these qualities are skillful, and when adopted and carried out, they lead to welfare and happiness, then you should enter and remain in them. So you have to see for yourself now, I alighted that passage in a way that's it's popular to alight it in the West, but I also want to point out that it also actually says that these qualities are 
criticized or praised by the wise. So it's not just, you know, we, we can easily get lost just looking at our own experience. So you have, so we also offer the teachings. Fortunately, the Buddha has, you know, done this and he has a lot of advice and a lot of teachers down through the ages have a lot of advice. So we're going to take advantage of that and we're going to take in that advice and then test it. So it's like kind of the scientific method. Is this, this is, these are the conditions for this test that's been run and said to produce these results. And if we follow those instructions for ourselves, what results do we get and how do we see it? So we're balancing, taking in information from this source that's quite, you know, believed by apparently most of you to be reliable enough to devote a year to it. And so we're going to take in that information and then we're going to test it with our own experience and see what, what's happened. And there's a teaching I really like, which is the idea of skillful means. And I think that's a way in which it's been 2,600 years, and there has been some progress, and I would say it's in the area of skillful means. I haven't necessarily so far speaking for my humble self, and I'm, I'm on the path with you. I'm not speaking from the end of the path. I'm speaking from somewhere in the middle. Uh, but it, uh, the Buddha's outline is quite reliable, but on the other hand, it's kind of sparse. It's kinda, sometimes a word will just be said, like investigation is a factor of enlightenment, but there isn't too much said about that. And so there's a whole lot of other teachings going on, you know, and body movement and yoga and all kinds of things are helpful in, as skillful means in shining a light on different parts of our experience and helping us understand different things. So I feel like quite free in using a lot of the, the you know, modalities that are available these days in the scientific understanding of how the mind works, all kinds of things are helpful, and they are. I don't find them contradicting these basic teachings. I find them amplifying and adding more and more skillful means to how to work with this. So the Buddha and the teachers and all these other helpers can point the way, but how far you get will depend on your own, how sincerely and persistently you actually try it for yourself. So the work in this course will involve developing and integrating, you could say a couple of things. There's an invitation to explore and get clear on what are our deepest values? What are our ideals? Do we agree with the centrality of non-harming and compassion and kindness and generosity? And what is, how does, where does that really touch you? And what does that mean to you? You know, what does it mean? What is it worth, what makes it worthwhile to be a human being? But then we don't just sit back and idealize these ideals. <laughs> that may often go along with, you know, a lot of projection on other people or some denial and guilt or shame about how we're really living. You know, so we want to balance finding within ourselves the wellsprings of these ideals with then actually whatever it takes to really look at what, what's happening right now. It takes a lot of honesty and patience and self-compassion and courage and wisdom to see, okay, this is how this conditioning came to be and this is what it is and this is what it might be like to change it. So putting your effort more into seeing and feeling your way into sorting out what intentions are in play in different situations, not so much trying to force change or trying to measure progress, but really getting to know yourself, getting to know what has come to be in your life. And this is how things have come to be. 
But then also there's the spirit of experimentation, you know, trying something a little new. Maybe you've really never given a good shot to speaking kindly to someone who's speaking rudely to you. You know, that can be very hard to do. So that might be an experiment that at some point during the year it would be possible to do. You know, really give a shot and see, see, see what happens. In the spirit of an experiment, try something new. You know, try, uh, try speaking kindly when you're not spoken to kindly. Try being generous to someone who's been stingy. Try, try something different and see what happens. Um, there are many stories, I've been doing this for six, seven years now, many stories from people that I've met as mentors who've got this courage to try doing something different, and many, many inspiring stories of how, wow, it really changed something. I'm surprised how that person reacted. You know, it's not necessarily an instant miracle, but you can learn, you can get some new data points for what's possible and how, how, how you might begin to trust this more deeply. One thing that we'll probably be working with is um, the area of self-judgment, self-criticism versus real wisdom and compassion. And part of this, it's a wisdom that grows the more we study it, but it's knowing that our habits are due to conditions and we learn to take things less personally. So what's happening is happening because of the conditions of our lives and we're now in a the present moment where we have a chance to shine a light on it, to try something different, and that will begin to slowly influence these habits. And it's not so much, it's taking a little bit of the understanding of not taking things personally as much as you can right from the beginning, but more objectively just observing what's going on here. And in taking things less personally is also about knowing that we're seeing into our common humanity. And if you can learn something, for yourself about how all these factors really work in your own experience, then you're learning something of value for everyone, something that you can, you can really feel that you know something about how, how to address some of the problems in the world. So patience, not frustration. I found this great quote from Aristotle. If you are learning, you have not at the same time learned. <laughs> So I, I, always, I often find that I, oh, I don't like to learn something new. I, some, something in me likes to already know it all. <laughs> and, and it's very hard to see something new, you know. But it's good to remember that, okay, that's the price of learning something is admitting that you didn't know already and let it in. And then faith that these elements of study and observation and a bit of experimenting, that they're catalysts for a deep process that you don't have direct control over. It's not like you speak kindly to someone and instantly that relationship is transformed. Maybe, but maybe not. But, you know, slowly it's a deep process within us and within the world that has time to work in, a, in not a direct way, but in a way that is influenced by the conditions that we change. And, of course, a great support is to keep up any meditation practice that you might have. Taking a little time every day, whether you're sitting formally on the cushion or just sitting in a chair and giving it a moment to calm down, come into yourself. Really calming the central nervous system <laughs> is a big part of what we need to sort of see, see more clearly. You know, there's a lot of noise, and we can settle down the noise, then we can see something more clearly. So it's great to also keep up coming here and learning other aspects of the Dharma and learning how to meditate. 
So being kind to yourself and patient and curious and experimental, these are the attitudes to bring to this course. So I want to talk a little bit about how we hold... It's time, next thing is to break up into groups of maybe five. And I'll just give you something to share about. And I want to set set some context for how we do this kind of group sharing. It's it's a valuable part of the course because it helps to see our common humanity, to normalize how everybody has often very similar difficulties with these things, but not always so similar. It can also reveal the different pieces of the elephant, you know, how the story about people who feel the tail in the trunk and so forth have a different view. So hearing someone else's struggle, someone else's perspective, very valuable. It's also a little preview of right speech and right listening is a big part of right speech. So it's really learning a different way to speak in a group and a a little bit of a different purpose. So we're really not trying to have a social chit-chat, get acquainted thing in the group. The emphasis is really not on presenting yourself so that others see you in a certain way. It's really about learning to see if you can stay connected with yourself while speaking something that still feels to you to be true enough while you're in the presence of other people and putting it out there. But really you're listening to yourself. It's a process of deep listening to yourself, saying something that feels true and appropriate. There's no pressure to share more than you feel like sharing. You know, there are very sensitive areas. There are things that it's just not appropriate. You want to keep to yourself until you maybe understand it much, much better. So it's not that you have to say anything. You certainly don't have to say everything. These are very short little times to say something. And so don't feeling the pressure to say everything. We've got a whole year to get out a few things that feel true to us to say in a group. And really it's important that we listen to each other. So it's a practice of listening when the other people are speaking. And then trusting that when it comes your turn, it's actually okay to have moments of silence. I remember the first time I ever, back in the 90s, I came to hear Gil first time one night. And at some point in his talk, he lost the thread of what he was going to say. And he sat there for probably almost a minute, completely at ease, quiet. And then, you know, he came back to him what he was going to say, and he said it next. And somehow that made a huge, wow, (laughs) you can do that? (laughs) Yes, you can do that. So in this group, in these groups, you know, you can take a moment, you can think about what you want to say, you can let there be silence. If we've given you three minutes to talk, you don't have to fill the whole three minutes. So just something that feels easeful and, you know, true that you want to share. And what we really want to discourage is not direct, you know, cross-talk and feedback to other people. So it's really a pure listening process to what other people say. We certainly don't want any advice going back and forth. We're not here to get advice from each other right now. We're here to listen to ourselves. So just listen to someone and, you know, there's no need to respond like, oh, me too, or wow, that's weird, or whatever you might be, (laughs) you know, say in an everyday conversation. No advice, not really not crosstalk, just listening. So that it's really very safe to put something out there and know... You know, and I've said things that then I change my mind five minutes later, and, oh, I'm sorry I said that, but 
you know, it's the water under the bridge. Let it go. It was the truth of the moment, and it's gone, and it's okay. So see if you can have that attitude, and have that attitude for each other, that somebody said something that might not be how they feel tomorrow, but, you know, it's just a process, practice in staying in touch with ourselves. So this format that we're going to use for this first breakout is where we give each person in the group, uh, in this case, three minutes to answer the question. And each person gets one opportunity to speak going around. And if we have, I don't, we might have a few minutes left at the end. If there are a few minutes left, then we can have some open sharing, but again, not responding directly to what someone else said. But if something else has come up for you that you want to add to what you said, you could add it. Okay? So, um, it's a pretty easy question. I'll tell it to you right now. The question is, what's brought you here? What's inspiring you to take up practicing the path at this time? Okay, so just reflecting on what, why are you here? And uh, what, what's your inspiration around the path at this time? So we have a large group of people here. So I'd like us to be in groups of five. And I think we could get maybe four groups, one in each corner in this room, and maybe three groups out there. A group could go out on the deck. A group could go into the conference room. Okay? And I think it's going to be awkward for me to time the three minutes. So if one person in each group who has some kind of timing device could be the timer of on three minutes for each person... And just say, when the time is up, just say time in a quiet voice. And, you know, they can finish their sentence. So you have total permission to interrupt somebody and just say time in the middle of a sentence, okay, if that's what's happening. And again, if this makes you very uncomfortable and you want to just think about this for a while and not jump in right now, you're welcome to take a little walk. We'll take about 15, 20 minutes for this and then come back, okay? So maybe just without being too complicated, I don't want to count off or any of that, but just five people at a time just kind of clump where you are, you know, and uh, just clump near five people around you and go find one of these locations that's not too far away. Yes? It would be nice to meet new people, I think, part of this, but it's up to you. It's not, I don't hold that very strongly, but you can meet new people. And appoint a, appoint a timekeeper and go ahead and start. Do you have a list of those people that were, uh, where you got an application by email? Yeah, I do. Did you, did you apply by email? Did, yeah. I don't, think I, I don't think it went through. What's your name? I did bring him. You know, let's talk about it at the break. I'll look you up, but I'll find it. Um, yeah, if there's any group that's short, you guys are 6'2". Okay. Here's a group here with only three people. So one of you could join them. One of you could join them. If you want, I don't care. Up to you guys. Okay. Okay. It's okay if there's an odd number. We've done our best here. Okay. And are you guys okay with 
Maybe you can sit on the benches out there. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear from some of you, not so much about what was said, but how it was to speak in this format, and how was it to meet some of your fellow travelers here. Does anybody have anything they'd like to share about how this exercise was? Pros and cons, all welcome. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Okay. We'd like to use this just so that there's quite a few people who aren't here today that will be listening. Some people are taking this from different parts of the country and other couple people from other countries, so they'll be virtually joining us. I'm not sure this one's working, but speak into it as if it is. It might be recording. <laughs> <laughs> it was heartwarming to hear everyone's sincerity. We're in the corner there. Maybe you can just pass it to each other. I appreciated your um, advice to allow silence um, because after we were all done, we none of us used our full time, I think, and we just sat in silence afterwards, and that allowed a space for new thoughts to come up. Yeah. So that was, thank you for that. I I feel that there's such a privilege in witnessing one another um, bring something to life. It's if something is being newborn. And the witnessing of oneself and each other as we're going through this process, no matter how many times I've shown up here before, it does feel brand new. And in that way, um, I feel very maternal towards the sharing with my group.
like the way everybody had their own reasons for coming. And we may have had varied reasons, but it led us to the same path. This this is not a random group of people, so uh, self-selected anyway. Yes, that's what I mean to say. Highly self-selected, so it creates a very safe um, setting. I feel so. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Let's, thank you. So the next item is a ten-minute or so break, and there's a couple things to do on this break besides go to the bathroom (coughs) Um, pick up one of these pieces of paper that I'll put out on the table I guess you all have made name tags if you got here too late to do that make a name tag and um, if you are not certain that you're signed up for this course if you didn't fill out the application online and get an acknowledging email back or you have any questions Put your first and last name and email on this sheet. And at least then you'll be on the mailing list for the reflection materials and we'll know who you are and you'll be on a wait list for the mentors. And we may be forming a sort of drop-in mentoring group that might meet right before this for those of you who didn't get a chance to be assigned to a mentor. So these two things to do on the break besides take care of your body. Okay, so I'll ring a bell in a few minutes.
Pardon? I did not see your name. John Hunter. Yeah. Through an online registration. Yeah, I didn't see it. So did you? I put a lot of work into it. Yeah. That's too bad. You didn't get an email acknowledging nope. it or anything. Boy. You don't have it. I don't have it. It's not on the list. So, so sign on the written list and we'll see. I mean, if you if you submit it, I believe you. It is, that's true. Okay, so, but, it, but on the form, it doesn't, so it's, it almost sounds like if you don't want to be assigned a mentor, then you don't need to sign up. So, I see. Yes, yeah. it, there is an unclarity there. Okay. Because it's serving for both the mailing list and the mentor okay. assignment. Okay, so even if you don't, 
that but works. If you it. don't want a mentor, maybe just sign that sheet there I, and put you don't want a mentor. I did, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so we'll put you on the mailing list. And well. I just figured there'd be so many people. So. Yeah, there are. And if you don't need one, maybe Well, not that one doesn't need one. Well, anyway, <laughs> maybe we're, next we're time. out now, so maybe yeah. next time. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you very much. Okay, yeah. great. Hi. I just wanted to mention Oh, fine. Yeah. 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 Yeah.